in Old Town Pasadena in like 2007 and 8, there was one of those restaurants like right on Colorado in Old Town, like by the fucking Apple store. One of those restaurants had a space in the basement that John Weiss got like a residency in. Oh. And so it was this really weird thing where the, the, the restaurant was like a, like an old town Pasadena, like cocktail bar. And then it was like an old building. Yeah. And it, and it, but, and it had kind of like a, not, not fancy, fancy, but it was like a very like suburban, like mom and dad are going out for drinks <laughs> type bar. Yeah. And you would walk through the bar <laughs> all the way to the back, like by the bathrooms. And then there was a staircase and you'd go downstairs. And then it was, it was like, oh, not an unfinished basement, but like a, yeah, what is this space? And so we somehow knew yeah. somebody like the bartender there, something where it was like, oh, can we do noise shows? in the basement and it was like, well, yeah, actually, cause it's really soundproofed. And so the people upstairs won't hear anything. But I remember my friend Tony telling me that he went to one show there with um, Masana, you know, that, that dude. So like mm. Japanese harsh noise wall, same generation as like Merritt's bow. And that his set was, it was this whole thing where people were like, dude, Masana's in America. Like he never leaves Japan. Like he's, this is like the first time he's played in the U.S. in 10 years. Or it's like, whoa, this is going to be so crazy. And he has his like pedal board and his mic. And like he comes out and he's like, ah, and like screams into the mic. And it goes through the pedals and it's like, <laughs> you know, and then like all the sound dies. Yeah. And he sort of like looks around and then just like puts the mic down and walks away. Where his set was like, and then he just left. Like he went into the back room or something and there was like silence and then somebody started clapping. <laughs> and, you know, like Weiss came out and was like, thank you, Masana. Uh, we, next up we got uh, Aaron Dillaway or, you know, some something. And Tony was just like, that yeah. dude flew yeah. here from Japan to play for 30 seconds. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious. I, I, it's like, kind of awesome. Knows, like, <laughs> especially assuming that somebody like paid yeah. for him. You know, if if like we got yeah. some like arts organization money, like yeah, let's fly this dude to L.A. It'll be like a big deal. And he's like, I'm done. <laughs> ah, okay, set's over. <laughs> no, I'm good. This is it. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> Well, we used to like, when, I remember prepping for shows, at least it like, I tortured myself by saying that like every show I played, I had to make something new, you know? Oh, I used to do that too. Yeah. When it's like, I don't know, like, which is weird because when you play in a band with like songs, you play the same set for years <laughs> and it's like, and it doesn't matter at all, you know? And actually people kind of get mad if you don't. Yeah. Right. They're like, wait, what is this weird other stuff that I'm not familiar with? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I recently, I've gotten like real, real big into Radiohead again this year mm. and I was Dude, watching. Yeah. They're so fucking good. Yeah. Do you, it's yeah. Just I love like, Radiohead. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's perfect. Um, also, the drummers' solo albums are weirdly good. Um, really, I did. I don't know. I listened to Ed O'Brien's solo stuff. Yeah, the drummer has. There's one called uh, Weatherhouse. That's Weatherhouse. I have to check that out. It's really cool, and he has 
like a surprisingly strong voice for oh really like literal vo- human voice like for being yeah. like, the drummer like he's a, a good singer and um it sounds like Radiohead <laughs> oh shit yeah <laughs> you know, okay. I gotta check that out um but I bring them up because like I was watching some of the I the only time I saw them was on the Hail to the Thief tour mm. but my favorite albums are like kid a and amnesiac and yeah, yeah so i was looking for like oh yeah wait a minute uh there must be people who've uploaded like those shows on youtube or something you know oh, like yeah. those those early uh those early sh- and so i found some of them like the first show from the kid a tour in like 2000 is on youtube and it's interesting because they still play like karma police and they still play like airbag or so like they're so even when they're it's like oh it's radiohead they're in this new era with electronics and like yeah. these weirder songs there's still some part of them that's like well we should probably play a couple of the hits <laughs> yeah because like right people are gonna be really pissed if we if we don't or yeah or whatever yeah. we still like those songs or but yeah so even something like that they're still like yeah, yeah we're gonna do totally. the weird shit but we're gonna also play. And yeah. when I saw them, I remember they played Creep and it was it was like, you know, oh shit, I thought they hated this song. Like I thought they never, yeah. you know. This. I thought they did too. Yeah, so. I don't know, but I remember that. Well now, well now I hate Creep. <laughs> I used to <laughs> like it. I used to like it. But uh, I've heard it so many times at karaoke bars <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where I'm like, fuck this song even though i think it's a good song i just don't want to hear it anymore it's just overdone yeah it's just yeah. overdone totally um but but yeah no um yeah that that's funny like about uh rock bands having to they have to do that i guess because people are like they have to feel the thing that they're familiar with so i mean like now they could play kid a songs I, I actually yeah. I don't know I like you could I wonder if they could play the deep cuts from Kid A and people just tree would be fingers down. <laughs> yeah tree fingers <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> which is so sick I mean the one uh, it's not my favorite song because Idiotech is obviously the best thing on there but and they're all fucking mm. great but like in limbo dude I love in limbo that's I learned how to that's the, play it that starts off with the raid the Rhodes piano yeah 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 that's us humming <laughs> two <in> different <laughs> things <that laughs> two, two dudes <laughs> <in different things. laughs> trying to hum a Rhodes piano one thing. guy who can dude. sing and one who can't oh, and... <laughs> yeah wait no am I thinking in limbo wait it's no. like London yeah, yeah, yeah. London fished and I. Yeah, exactly. Got a message. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, okay, I'm on your side. <laughs> no exit. So I don't know what the lyrics are, but yeah, yeah the uh, yeah. it's like in three. Yeah, but, fuck yeah, dude. I love that song. That yeah. song's really, really cool. And but I feel like that one, that might actually be the weirdest thing on Kid A. Yeah, that or like the song Kid A. Yeah. Um that I always thought was really strange, but now I'm like really into it. I love that song. Yeah. Like, and that's some of the best lyrics. Like, Oh yeah. The, we've got heads on sticks. We've yeah. got ventriloquists oh, standing in the shadows at this, at the end of my bed. Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's so, so fucking creepy. It's so creepy. Like, and the voice and too, whatever processing they're doing. They were, apparently, because I, I got <laughs> this. Oh, and it has a whole bunch of like 
info. Like they talk about Fuck, like rules. what what they did, and it's um apparently it's Tom York's voice into like the analog systems vocoder module, and then it's being yeah. controlled by the Ons Martin O. Nice. That's what does the like. Oh, so that's the pitch the, shifting. Like, that's the carrier. The carrier is it like the. Carrier that's the carrier. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. And that's yeah. Awesome. And so that's it's like Johnny playing the melody and Tom just like talking the lyrics in or something. Yeah, dude. Um, this also has a bunch of stuff in it about how Stanley Donwood actually did magic. Wow, that's that's wild. I didn't know that about him. I so. Because of this year, I went through this. I really need to get that. This thing where I, I bought this. This was the most expensive one, but. Um, yeah. Then Dude, I, I got to buy that. I also got all of Stanley Donwood's other books. Oh, whoa. Um, this one is just the lyrics and stuff to Kid A and Amnesiac, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but then he has these, like, a collection of miserable stories. Um, <laughs> are they like prose? Yeah, they're they're like really really short. Some of them are you know like like you know one page stories, oh, yeah. and a lot yeah. of it's in um this one humor, which has the best cover. Um, nice. where he he talks about yeah, how cool. when they were making uh Kid A, he had nightmares like horrible, horrible nightmares and that he um, he started, he figured out that if he, oh man, I, I should just find it, but he, because it's, oh yeah, right here. Uh, I began to write my nightmares down. This started as a way to keep track of them, to make absolutely sure of the sequential nightmare, to record and identify any possible channels of resistance. Themes began to emerge. Supermarkets, the early hours of the morning, medieval and Tudor architecture, aliens, demons, hauntings, blah, blah, blah. I edited the written versions ruthlessly, cutting out swathes of text. There was no sense in trying to contextualize them, no point in attempting to fit them with a beginning and an end. As far as I could tell, these frightening excursions were all middle. I wrote in the first person naturally and in the present tense. I decided to dilute my dreams by sending these written versions to a disparate group that I had been corresponding with for several years in a kind of one-way mail art. If enough people read the dreams, they would dissipate. Their power dispersed into the ether like some kind of noxious vapor. I made small booklets and placed them in envelopes, posting them with a sense of slight relief. Uh, blah, blah, blah. At this time, I began working with Radiohead on a record that was to become OK Computer in a large mansion house not far from where I lived. Uh, I found a book of symbols. These symbols were a revelation, as well as many that found their partially erased way into the artwork for OK Computer. There was exactly the mark I was looking for. It was a hex, a magic symbol that would bring bad luck and misfortune to demons. Um, and yeah, basically he put that, like he hid that in all the art. And on all the t-shirts yeah. with the idea that when people wore the t-shirts, it would make like a, a stronger barrier against the demons. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, it, That's and amazing. then he started the website. Like, he made the Radiohead website and started hiding stuff in the website. That That's like, a, like a, I was thinking about like computer networks or whatever. I, I legit, like a decentralized network rather than a centralized network. 
is like a, in a centralized network, when a thing, you know, the central server or whatever goes down, the whole network goes down. But in a decentralized network, the I guess the the parts of the network are shared between so many computers, so many servers, so that if one goes down, it's kind of made up for by the other components in the network. And then if it comes back, then the network, you know, has is more robust essentially. The more servers there are, the more robust the network is. If I'm understanding this correctly, because I, I don't really know. But it seems to me like he's creating sort of this energetic network by putting these symbols out and having other people carry it, you know, for him. You know, it it can do it has more um presence than if just he did the act or whatever. Yeah. That's sick. Okay, so there's like a whole bunch of stuff. I feel like people, especially with like all the 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 handful of like occult podcasts I listen to, like everybody loves Grant Morrison, and I feel sometimes like I'm the only person in this in this whole area of culture who doesn't like Grant Morrison, mm. <laughs> and who like just doesn't believe him. That whenever he's like, "Oh, I've had this magic," I'm like, "I don't believe you. I just feel like you're making shit up." <laughs> You know, I actually I don't know any Grant Morrison. I, I don't think I've read him. The Invisibles is the one that everybody makes like a really big deal out of because that was like fully a part of the '90s like chaos magic scene. And part of the oh, deal okay. with it yeah. is that he he says he made it as a hyper sigil so that like every part of mm. it's a whole bunch of sigils nested together into the story that interact with each other to bring about like a kind of much more complicated uh, or much more complex result than just a sigil for like, I want to get that sick guitar. <laughs> I don't know. I Girls like me. Right. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so people talk a lot about that, that like the hyper sigil idea and that like a work of art that not only has like a magical intent behind it, but like a very dense magical intent. And I feel like I'm, I'm like super into that idea, but then the fact that it, that the result of it was the fucking invisibles, which is a comic that just left me like completely, it feels like those really early Autekker videos where it's just like, dude, this is 90s screensaver shit. Like, like I love Autekker, but, the, yeah. <laughs> but like, just aesthetically, this is massively 90s. And I feel like the, the Invisibles leave, is in a similar spot for me, except that yeah. it would be like if I didn't love Autekker. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's just dated. Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't tap into any current of timelessness. Not for me, at least. Yeah, right. And then he has another book, the other like explicitly sort of magic affiliated one, because he he also has done like he just like writes a ton of Batman and like X Men and ah uh, yeah right uh, like writes for for existing superheroes and stuff. But he has a book called The Filth, which I <laughs> hate like <laughs> really. Um, the Filth and that that one one of Tricks Point Never album, the Nick Land oh. one age of are like the two of the most uh just like oh this like ruined my my day <laughs> type 
experiences and the fil- but but Grant Morrison says that the filth he's like yeah writing the filth was my like crossing the abyss and that's why oh. I'm like I don't believe you I just don't <laughs> believe you <laughs> like you just wrote a comic and you're trying to compete with Alan Moore so you just yeah I'm always suspicious not to say that you know he didn't or whatever I'm always suspicious when people are really outwardly like promoting their spiritual attainments you know I'm I'm like, well, you know, I don't know, you know, not not that you can't, you know, but I, I just don't, I don't find it to be like a s- s- super genuine expression. <laughs> like, I don't know. No, and I, I don't know if that's really fair. Like, yeah, when I say I don't believe you about Grant Morrison, I, I mean, I do mean it that I don't believe him, but I, I don't know that I'm right. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. I could totally be wrong, and it totally like fuck. Wow, the the filth really was abyss crossing, and he's yeah. a fucking magus. Okay, cool. I'm wrong, but the like visceral feeling I have is like, no, you're just a guy in a leather jacket writing <laughs> comics. Yeah, and leather jacket too. You know, it was the '90s. <laughs> like, yeah, and you. But so anyway, yeah. I bring that up not to not just to say like I don't like Grant Morrison, but that um that finding this out with like that, that Stanley Don would put that there's something about the artwork for those Radiohead albums that is also hyper sigilistic. Yeah. Is like, there's a part of me that feels like I always felt like that was the case. Yeah. I always felt like there was something going on, like looking at, you know, the, the mountains on the cover of kid a, I always felt like there was something like happening there. And I'm no that part of the no, no, no yeah. I'm sorry I'm I'm trying to find I have the special I have the special edition uh, amnesiac and it's oh like nice bound, the it's CD like, it's, or the yeah, it was a CD but it's a bound red book it's a hardcover book yeah I used to ha- or I probably have that at my mom's house somewhere yeah, I don't know where I put it but yeah with like the crying minotaur on the front yeah yeah yeah. Oh shit! Like now, that, now that you're talking about it, I want to see the artwork. You know? Yeah. Oh fuck. Okay. I don't know where it's at. Yeah. It. It. Um. Okay. No, sorry. I didn't mean to. Um, no, no, no. It's. <laughs> no, it's just the thing that like, I always felt like there was something about these. These albums that. Um, and the visual art and all this kind of stuff ah. that <clears throat> it felt. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I found it. Nice. Yeah, I, I hopefully still have that at my mom's house. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. I always loved the, the like. Oh, that's um, great. The library thing sleeve that holds the CD and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but go on. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I always felt like there was something going on in these images beyond just like cool pictures to go along with a record and the same thing with like the the lyrics and you know people I know Tom York got like a lot of shit around that time for like nonsense lyrics oh yeah you know that like oh what is this what is this even about like these songs used to be about something man (laughs) and it always felt to me like not that I have any problem even if they were just nonsense but that I'm like no there's something in here there's something there's some occult meaning, like not occult, yeah. like, like they're in the Crowley, but I mean like a cluded thing going on. 
Right. And I feel like getting, I got this, the humor one just sort of on a whim and seeing like, oh shit, he actually sort of knew what he was doing. That then that made me get the Kid A art book and, and all this. And then to see like, oh, I was right. They actually were. Like, yeah, there was something going on. And then to hear, like, they have an interview with Tom York and Stanley Donwood from, like, last year where they're, like, um, that where they are kind of, like, yeah, we're not completely responsible for what, what happened here. Like, something mm. bigger than us, like, something bigger than the whole band took over while this was happening and, like, some, he, he's, they say something sort of cryptic where they're, like, some of us actually think that it's, that it's some kind of like fate thing that like our entire lives were building up to that. And that then, you know, yeah. everything after has been like a, a bonus. Yeah. But, uh, like they achieved, they achieved, um, the goal or they achieved the work or something. Yeah. And I always feel like there's something, I mean, this might be some of the thing that makes me inclined to say, like, I don't, why I don't believe Grant Morrison or whatever is because there always seems to be some kind of like sorrow that comes with the people who I feel like actually go somewhere. Hmm. That there's some feeling, not that it necessarily goes wrong, and this will lead us into the movie, but that um, <laughs> not that it necessarily has to go wrong, like it ruins, like Jack Parsons, for example. Yeah. You don't have to blow yourself up. But yeah. that there does, I feel like, have to be something where it's like, something just happened. Like we did something and everything is different now. Yeah. And it's not all good. You know, like yeah. it's not well, all yeah. like, uh, yay, we're rock stars. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an, an action has a, you know, all has byproducts. And so a genuine action or a genuine movement of, uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, energy in the world, artistic energy, you know, social energy, whatever, it's going to be, it's going to include sorrow it, in, as well as joy because these things are inextricable to each other. They're two sides of the same coin, yeah. right? Like it has to occur that way. Um, so that's probably what what you're detecting, you know, yeah. these like really genuine acts also have to have these really kind of heavy portions of it, these sorrowful portions of the act. And know? I feel like it makes it makes sense in the like, you know, Golden Dawn model if we're calling these things, you know, that there's an abyss crossing part, where do you end up after the abyss in Bina? What is Bina mm. understanding? What is understanding sorrow? Yeah. Dude, well, you know what's even interesting about that is the um the three of swords in the tarot is I mean three is the sphere of Bina for all you uh, Kabbalah heads <laughs> out there. You're like it's, it's the sphere of uh, of, of Bina, and the card is named Sorrow. But the card is like actually really beautiful to me because uh, like Lan Milo Duquette describes it in his you know the book of his explanations of the book of Thoth. Um, yeah, the Thoth Tarot. Um, he like has this really cool explanation where he's like the sorrow of this card is this like really deep and almost beautiful sorrow. It's like the sorrow of the Buddha that when the Buddha sees the sorrow of the world, it's, it causes him to 
seek enlightenment and it causes him to actually find like enlightenment and emancipation from being. So the sorrow is so, uh, so intrinsic to the beautiful journey, you know? Uh, And that's like, that's interesting. It's just very interesting. And the fact that it's in Bana above the abyss, you know, in Thelemic terms, like you basically give yourself to the cup of like Bana, you have to pour everything into it. So you have to, you have to come to terms with sorrow too, you know? I mean, I don't, if I'm understanding this correctly, but it seems like you have to recognize that the world is sorrowful, (laughs) that there is sorrow in the world um, and that it is one-to-one with joy and beauty. And when you recognize those things, you can sort of come to these really true sort of sense of things, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and and that's where I feel like there's, I mean, people talk like uh, some of this definitely gets into like you know superstition and just sort of fear fear based stuff when people get into the whole sort of like uh, be, be careful what you wish for type oh yeah thing yeah. with with magic and like the monkey's paw the monkey's paw thing that's that's yeah. the classic I think that's what we're all thinking of and for people of our age we're probably all thinking of the Simpsons. Yeah, the Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> with the, exactly. The, you also get a free cup of Frogurt. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know, you that whole thing of like I'm gonna do. I mean, it, it it's it's in like every book, every blog post or whatever about like learn how to do sigils. Is that it's like I did a sigil to get. and then my uncle died and left me $5,000 in his will, you know? So it's always that kind of, that kind of thinking of, oh, you know, you're going to do the magic for some end and you're going to get it, but it's not going to be the way you wanted to get it. And yeah, well, I think that there is something valid in there, which is like, I do think it's valid to, to think about, okay, am I going to do some Am I hoping for some kind of magical end? Well, what are all the ways it could manifest? Yeah. One of those, I need money. One of those might be that somebody dies. Yeah. But I I do think it's ultimately superstitious to think that the only way that you could achieve your end is through someone else's suffering. Yeah. That feels like a holdover of like Christian thinking. Yeah, that's like, to me, it makes me think of like the classic black magician. You know? Yeah. Black magic, like in they would picture that person to actually enjoy hurting other people and taking their stuff, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't, oh, who care? Kill all my uncles yeah. so yeah, I get all the money. Yeah, like, yeah you know. like, all magicians are sociopaths uh, to, like, Christian doctrine. Yeah, Exactly, but I do think that there's something, some core in there, which is that it makes me think of something Joel Barocco said, or wrote because I don't think anybody has heard. I don't think Joel Barocco has spoken in 10 years. Um, We can do a whole other thing. It's too big a thing to get into, but I'll put his website in the show notes. Um, But he wrote something regarding magic in general saying, um, if where you end up even remotely resembles where you thought you might end up, you haven't gone very deep at all. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that there's some part of that that accounts for the 
or the sorrow thing factors into that or what I'm talking about with like Parsons or John D or shit Crowley or Radiohead <laughs> or any of these people that I'm sort of saying like went maybe were a part of something either intentionally like Crowley or Parsons or were caught up in a current like say Radiohead or HP Lovecraft or even Wilco, because there's a lot of weirdly occult stuff going on with um, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in terms of like mm. anticipating 9/11, and oh really? Yeah, that's a whole other thing. But um, oh, I have to, I have to. Revisit. There's some kind of current things going on, like Lovecraft in the early 20th century, and some of these artists yeah. in the early 21st century being a part of something bigger than them, and it taking them to some wonderful places, and also potentially either taking them to some very dark places or opening up some very dark avenues for the rest of us to go down. And I, I sort of think that that's more accurately what's going on when somebody says like, uh, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> that it's a little like, okay, so you guys, so, so five guys from Oxford, England start a band. They write a song called creep they get kind of big and then they get to some spot where they're like, we don't know what to do. Their artist starts putting demon symbols in the artwork. <laughs> they go down this thing. They start anticipating 9-11. The lyrics of Idiotech are the early 21st century in four minutes. Look at those lyrics and think about the last 23 years. And something like that happens and it's like, this is what you guys wanted. You know, you wanted to yeah. be a part of something. <laughs> But is that thing always happy? No, it is not. Mm, and yeah. like, yeah, you're big musicians now and everything, but I'll, I, you know, there's other stuff in that mixture. And, I, and sorrow is one of the things in that mixture, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, man. I, uh, I, had a, I had a thought that I was really excited about, and then I got kind of like, Oh lost no! And lost Sorry. In your words. <laughs> you have such a sweet voice. Oh. <laughs> no, it was like I was just like picturing the things. And then, oh fuck! What was I going to say? Uh, anyways, well, if you no. remember it, just interrupt whatever we're doing and and just yeah, just, okay, yeah, just go for it. Um, it had something. Maybe it had to do with Wilco. We could take a moment yeah. We here. I can always cut out because <laughs> we yeah, can edit totally. it out. <laughs> um, man, what fuck? It was like. Uh, it was you were talking about Wilco being connected to the current of times. You know? Well, because I guess I'll maybe this will trigger it, but that like both yeah. Kid A part of a lot of the stuff that comes up in in like this big Kid A book is um, that Stanley Donwood and Tom York kept having dreams and like meditation visions and things of like towers collapsing. Oh wow! Both of and them. yeah, both of them were having this, and that then simultaneously. Apparently Jeff Tweedy was too. Mm. And the cover of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I know it's those buildings yeah. in Chicago, but it's still yeah. two towers. Right. And in Jesus, etc., it's like tall buildings shake, voices escape, singing sad, sad songs. Wow. Like there's a lot of stuff in these lyrics where it's like, and the same thing in Kid A lyrics, like seriously, the idiotech. Who's in a bunker? Yeah. Who's in a bunker? Women and children first. I've seen too much. Yeah. You haven't seen enough. Ice Age coming, except it's the opposite of an Ice Age. Yeah. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff in there that's like, when you look when you look at both what Jeff Tweedy was saying about writing the lyrics for 
Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and what Tom York was saying, writing lyrics for Kid A and Amnesiac, is that they were both like yeah. getting really into automatic writing, getting really into dream journals, getting really into like yeah. the subconscious, and that basically the same shit was coming out of both of their subconsciouses. Yeah, We'd, and it was like similar time period, like 2000. Those records came out the same year. Or Yankee Hotel Foxtrot came out the same year as Amnesiac. Kid yeah. A came out first. But I oh yeah, but yeah. I th- it was just a year. It's after. a year after, yeah. and I actually think that Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was finished in two thousand, and then it was because of the label stuff oh, okay. in that documentary yeah. that it got delayed like a year. Oh, right. um, but that this is basically yeah. the same thing that happened. This is Kenneth Grant's whole thing, just updated to the twenty first century about how Lovecraft and Crowley mm-hmm. saw the same thing. Right. That I'm basically saying that Tom York and and uh, Wilco, which you also have a British person, a British band and an American band, just like Lovecraft and Crowley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Tapping into yeah, tapping into like a pocket of of uh, you know like an archetypal. Uh, maybe it's not even archetypal because it might be f- a flowing sort of influence that describes. You know, describes this sort of momentum of the world. So archety- archetypal stuff seems a little bit more like foundational, like it's timeless to the most timeless degree that you like tap into these things. And it's, but what you're what you're describing with them too is like they're tapping into a current that is of of the time right now, or of the time in two thousand, which is actually twenty. 24 years ago. <laughs> so, um. I mean, it's a bit like it's in the Red Book, you know, the young mm. Red Book where he talks about, you know, the the spirit of the times and the spirit of the depths mm. as like the two sort of voices coming to him. And it, there's a little bit that I'm, I feel like it's that spirit of the times thing that yeah. it's that talking that there was a, there was, I don't know if it's always the same spirit, but that there was a spirit of the times that was talking and Lovecraft heard it and Crowley heard it. And that then a hundred years later, there was a spirit of times talking and Jeff Tweedy heard it and Tom York heard yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you rethink the concept of a muse, you know, like uh, in, when you have a certain mind and this is, this goes back to like um, this, the idea that if, if your attainment is anything that you expected it to be, you haven't gone far enough, you know, is the idea that like, Growing up for me, I kind of I like I've heard about the muse, you know, I've heard this like ancient concept and I thought I understood it because of how it was displayed to me, you know, at the time with my education and like the limited knowledge that I had, you know. And then of course, time goes on and these concepts change for you. They adapt and they shift, right? So like my idea of what a muse was is not at all like what I think now. Um, and at one point I was thinking that, oh, it's a silly idea, you know, because I was kind of trained to with art school and stuff to be like, oh, they they had some silly idea that they were like, they had, uh, you know, that there was a, a thing speaking through them, you know, where it's like, no, it's all rational, rational and stuff. And then coming back to these now where it's, I'm like, no, wait, that's like, I can, I can sense that. I can sense like how that would be. And I can actually actively cultivate it sometimes, you know, not, not always well, but I can sometimes cultivate it, you know, 
And that's actually most of my quest now is, and it's not like that the muse was just, it's just like, oh, this person was just gifted with the muse. Like, oh, they just had it, you know? I, I feel like it is a, a sense of communication or like having a relationship, being in a relationship with a partner or something, you know? You have to maintain it and you have to work through it to just speak to this essence of things, you know? Um, yeah. And depending on the language that you use, you know, some people, you know, could describe it as this sort of mystical spiritual activity and other people could just describe it as like a, a sense of inspiration, you know, like depending on how they frame it with their own concepts. And we could argue, you know, one person may say like, no, that's just inspiration. And it's like, well, yeah, well, what is inspiration? <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking like etymologically, like inspiration is like to breathe into it's like mm. suspire, suspiria, to finally nice. talk about a fucking <laughs> horror thing. Um, no, but the, all that stuff is, you know, that that's all, that's breathing. And so, yeah. you know, inspiration is something breathing into you. What What's breathing into you? Yeah. You know, so right. even if you say like, oh, it's just yeah. being inspired, it's like, well, right, by what? Yeah. You know, something, there's still yeah. a relationship there. Yeah, this is, that's exactly the, like you, you explained my point very well <laughs> like we think like we understand the language and we use language in the sense as being rational like oh let's be rational about this it's not a spiritual thing it's just inspiration you know we use a word but the word itself etymologically is this deeply deeply spiritual you know thing uh, like i mean i continue to think that like the main problem we have people like us or people who probably would want to listen to this or whatever. Like, I feel like the main thing that we have with not wanting to call spirit, call stuff spiritual is that we don't want to sound like Christians and we don't want to sound like crystal unicorn people. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, because that's most of what you see with somebody. It's either somebody with like fucking yoga beads being like namaste <laughs> yeah. or else it's somebody with a rosary saying, yeah. I hate, I hate everybody. <laughs> yeah. And it's often, an, <laughs> or whatever. yeah. Like, and it's aesthetically <laughs> repulsive. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know, like, and and they they both feel like equally stupid. Yeah, equally just like shallow and empty, and you know, but that there's nothing that because even when we talk about all this, I think I don't remember what episode it was where we were talking about this, but something about how um, you know, people talk about oh, it's just from from your subconscious. Like as if that's less weird. Yeah, right. Then it, people just love like it's like the 20th century gave us this thing that you can just say, no, 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 that's just subconscious or that it's just from a dream or it's just from whatever, and that you can talk about that stuff and you can sound like rational yeah. because you're not saying it's from an angel <laughs> or it's yeah. from a demon or it's from a god or whatever. You're just saying no, 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 it's from my subconscious. Yeah, but you don't actually understand your subconscious. Yeah, any more than you would understand a demon or an angel. Right, or... right, right. We just, we've all accepted that, like, we people have dreams. It's kind of undeniable somehow, even though I can't prove that you have dreams, you know, and you can't prove that I do. Somehow I just know that when I go to sleep, some weird event happens where I live out these scenarios that are clearly not 
like a part of my waking life. And then when I go and talk to you, you're like, wow, I also get those. You know, yeah, so, I do that too. Yeah. So we can say like enough people do that where it's like, it's like almost like quantifiably proven, even though some people don't have dreams or some people have like very intense lucid dreams. Some people have like night terrors, you know, so it's always kind of different, but but yeah, because it's quantifiable, we just accepted it as being this like mechanical thing. You know, that it's like, oh, it's just part of the the mechanism of the mind. It's just part of the machine. It's like eating or, you know, shitting. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, right. Which is a mysterious thing. <laughs> Not to go down the rabbit hole, <laughs> to be like, well, oh yeah, I guess it's like energy transfer. You need to you need fuel, mm-hmm. you know, to survive and stuff. But even that is just like, it's a, it's a mysterious thing. It's like very spiritual to me. The, to just, to just exist, you know? Well, it's, I mean, it's uh, one of the funny thing with just that came to mind when you said like, you know, I, I can't prove that you dream or no. So, you know, people, people talk about AI and one of the things that often comes up with like, AI conversations is like the Turing test and this idea that, you know, okay, we're, you know, we're, we need to develop an AI that can pass the Turing test. And one of the things that doesn't often come up about the Turing test is that the Turing test can't necessarily discern that you are intelligent. Mm. That humans fail the Turing test. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so there is seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding of what consciousness is yeah. when it comes to think to purely mechanistic attempts to bound off. Okay, there is consciousness. Here is the line between a computer program or a robotic head thing with a circuit brain in it. and Or here's the line between consciousness and not consciousness. It's like there seems to be a, frequently enough just like a misunderstanding of what <laughs> that all is if we end up yeah. with a system that everybody talks about okay this is the 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 way that we can tell if a consciousness has developed in a computer and it's like well it wouldn't even tell that you're conscious yeah <laughs> like <laughs> so i thought that that yeah, was how, very how funny can, how can we rely on that yeah, yeah absolutely these are poignant questions now obviously <laughs> they've always been poignant questions but like it's it's quite interesting now to live in the time where well it it some of it makes me think of like uh I, I'm pretty sure that this was because now it's modern rubbish bingo time I'm gonna reference Jason Brown <laughs> <laughs> because I'm pretty sure back like ten years ago when I still had a Facebook that he posted this and that this is where I've seen this but I always think about whether it was him who posted this or not I always think about something that that I read from the MIT, it was either MIT or Harvard like tech review uh, magazine publication thing. And so 10 or so years ago was about when people were getting, when like Google Glass had its, oh, yeah, its moment. Oh yeah, Google Glass. Remember Google yeah, Glass? Yeah, that was here for okay. a hot second. I remember that there was a show that you and Jenica played with me and Yeah. At that gallery in Culver City. Yeah, I remember that. And there was a dude in the crowd wearing Google I remember glasses. that too, yeah. <laughs> and he also had like diesel jeans and like he had this total like Euro trash thing going nice. on. And then these Google glasses. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that was the only time I ever saw anybody in the world 
yeah. wearing those. And it was funny but, because the Google Glass was kind of in this, like off to the side, so they would kind of stare off. Yeah, it's direction. like a. <laughs> it's not just normal glasses. No, yeah, it's it's like he looks. Yeah, he like looks, he's distracted he looks all the time. Up, up and to the right a little bit all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, so it was. It was would have been probably that same year. So like 2012 or 2013. Um, that that this article came out about Google Glasses, and it was. I remember it being a fairly scathing <laughs> review of <laughs> the glasses, both from like a a technological you know, like whatever, this is poorly engineered kind of perspective, but also from a, I, I guess we would call like philosophical perspective. Because I rem- the, the bit that I remember most vividly is where the writer says like, they're quoting the uh, like press release copy of the Google Glasses that says, that has all these like scenarios and okay, imagine that you're at a party and you see someone across the room that you'd like to talk to, but you don't know how to break the ice. So you can look up to, and to the right on your Google Glasses <laughs> and it'll search for them in the network and then you can get a signal that'll be like a little pink dot in the corner that'll tell you that they also want to talk to you. And then you could like look up their Facebook and see that they also like Star Trek and that then mm. you could be like, I was watching a Voyager marathon last night. You want to come over some or whatever. And yeah. so the person writing this article quotes that bit and then is like, and, and several other equally sort of embarrassing examples of how Google Glass would be useful. Um, and then is like, I think that the, pre- the people who made this misunderstand what being human is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, where they were like, th- these people seem to think, this is the part I remember almost literally was, th- these people seem to think that you are a homunculus driving your body like something yeah. out of Robotech. Yeah. Or Voltron or whatever. Yeah, right. But you are your body. Like, yeah. you are inextricable from your body and your body yeah. already has sensors. And yeah. we already pick up <laughs> Fucking sight, sound, smell, hearing. Yeah. We already we sub subliminally yeah. pick up like pheromones <laughs> and Yeah, right. Like we already do all this shit. We've been yeah. dudes have been going to parties and seeing girls that they want to talk to about Star Trek or whatever medieval Star Trek was <laughs> <laughs> and and figuring yeah. out a way to discern that one wants to talk to me and that one doesn't want to talk to me. Yeah, right. Picking up the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want right. to, it's like. So I just remember this review being like, "This is completely fucking pointless," because we yeah. already do this, and this just does it worse yeah. than our bodies. Yeah, um, right. You know the funny, the funny thing is like with these tech bros, you know, like like Silicon Valley tech bros, is that they they have a certain kind of like vibe to them where they are almost like idiots. And you have to like let them kind of just show to all of us how stupid people can be. <laughs> and so they're like demonstrations of humanity's stupidity. And we're like, okay, now we know. Like, but that you have to reach a certain level of like wealth <laughs> to demonstrate <laughs> yeah. how stupid humans can get, you know? Yeah. And, and like, like I'm thinking about just now, I just read an article about that one tech guy who um, is like trying to defeat. Uh, death. He's like the dude who drinks his son's blood and stuff. 
but he's doing like a Kurtzweil thing. Not Ray Kurtzweil, though. No, it's not Kurtzweil. He's doing like another thing where he's not, he's taking 70 something pills a day, you know, and doing certain things where he's got like routines where he he sits under specific lights, you know, and, and takes a very like particular type of like diet and stuff like that, you know? And yeah, the dude might find some benefits, but it's just like, it, it doesn't take a rocket science. It doesn't take a Silicon Valley <laughs> programming bro to realize that there's always going to be unforeseen, you know, counteractions <laughs> Yeah, that you just cannot live forever, nor would you want to. I mean, we have vampire horror. Isn't part of the vampire, like the horror of it is that they are doomed in a hell to yeah. live forever, you know, like, so it's just like this dude, he's like, I'm going to defeat death and, and whatever, you know, his his phrase of that. It, it's just like, all right, dude, like, please demonstrate how a, yeah. once again, how stupid that is. Yeah. And, and we can all enjoy, you, you know, your blunders. <laughs> I don't know. I, I get a kick out of it. Well, it is. I mean, it's it's probably an unpopular example to bring up because I I get the sense that people... I get the sense that not that many people liked this movie. I really liked this movie. It's the only Darren Aronofsky movie I like, but The Fountain? Oh, really? Yeah. You know, where the whole point is whatever Hugh Jackman plays, like a, a doctor like that who's, you know, death is the enemy, de- death is a disease, and we have to, you know, defeat death. And it follows him yeah. succeeding, living for thousands and thousands of years on a and eventually piloting a starship into the center of a supernova so that he can finally die. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that movie was like beautiful and specifically that he Mm. finds, there's this moment when he Mm. gets to the center of the supernova and he's like, I I can die. And it's like with this joy and relief of like, it's done, you know? And, uh, and then the, and then the tree comes. Because <laughs> that's a thing. So, yeah, I'm going out. I'm going out on a limb here and potentially making a fool of myself by saying that Grant Morrison is bad, but the fountain is good. Um, it's probably not very popular. And then the tree comes. <laughs> and then the tree comes. I mean, watch the fountain, and you won't see that I am not uh, telling any tales out of school with that one. Then is that the fountain? It is one of, there are several several fountains fountains, and one of them is a tree spraying (laughs) calm um, onto Hugh Jackman. I see, I see it all so clearly. And uh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But no, I mean, there's also all that tech bro stuff about like, you know, the, the whatever we've like, okay, we've come up with like a solution to, uh, you know, the housing problems in San Francisco. Like what if people had apartments and they lived with their, with other people in those apartments and they could be like co-living. It's like, yeah, that's roommates. <laughs> and like, okay, so, you know, we have traffic on the, on the freeway. And so what if we all, what if we had a service where we could share our cars with one another when we're going to similar destination? Yeah, that's carpooling. <laughs> you know, and I, I saw one not too long ago that was like, you know, solar sails could power freight ships across the Atlantic where I'm like, yeah, that's a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> like, we're we're back to fucking sailboats. And it's just these people who keep like going basically going the long way around. Yeah. To end up at something that like, yeah, we, we know about that. Yeah. Like Yeah, it's funny. It's there's 
There's so, wait, what is I, I can't remember if this was that style of this book because I hadn't read it in so long, but Confederacy of Dunces. I never read that actually. Yeah, I remember it being hilarious though. Like it was really funny. I can't, I haven't read it. I read it like so long ago. Yeah. Um, but it makes me think of these types of characters, you know, these like dumb, these dumbasses, you know, but it's like, <laughs> but like, God bless you, you know, like bless your dumb little heart because you show us all of this stuff. It demonstrates it like it helps, it helps us realize, you know, the actual importance of the experience, you know, over time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes yeah. one that's one that I can, I just remembered like this is um, the Algis Huxley book after many a summer dies, the swan. Mm. which I remember that made a really big impression on me probably because I read it at, I read it at an extreme low point (laughs) in, Mm. in my depression, which was then followed by taking an irresponsible amount of mushrooms and, (laughs) and having a horrible, horrible time. (laughs) And so it's one of those books where part of me is like, man, fuck that book. But (laughs) But uh, it's about, it's basically like, it's based on like a William Randolph Hearst type character, like a Citizen Kane, you know, uh, super rich guy in the, I want to say 30s who, it takes place in LA and he's like, owns this vast land tract and he has all this power and these giant properties and he has like a, basically a castle, like the Hearst castle. And yeah, it's like this, that dude is getting older, you know, he's realizes the death is coming or something. And so he's assembled like all the best minds at his castle to like solve death. And one of the people, I mean, I read this book like 20 years ago. So, but like one of the people in it is sort of the voice of reason. Who's like, no, like saying everything we're saying. It's like, yeah, no, you should die. Like you should live well, live as long as you like or whatever, but you, you're you never going to defeat death because death is not something, it's not your enemy. Yeah. And of course, of course, basically nobody listens to that character and instead they find out, they find, let me see if I can remember this. They find like somewhere in in like Germany or Czech Republic or somewhere over there, they find like, some carp, like koi carp that have been kept alive in like a pond of some part of some old castle for like a thousand years or something where it's like these carp have lived forever. And so then somebody is able to like synthesize a supplement from those carp that allows this dude to live forever. And so then it goes like forward in time and it's, it's, it's like, okay, so he lives forever or whatever. And then it goes forward in time and he's, basically like a covered with hair and he's like can't speak anymore and he's just looks really upset or whatever because it's like well yeah so it makes him live forever but it didn't make his make everything keep going right forever right so other stuff unexpected stuff starts happening when you live more than 500 years or whatever so yeah you know, you get that's, the sense that this dude is like, I kind of wish I had died. Back. That's <laughs> that's know? what we call in the business call a monkey paw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's hilarious, though. Yeah, you have to think that there has to be some balancing factor. If you're going to live forever, there has to be some kind of like 
give or take to it, you know? Yeah. And this is what, like, when you were saying that, it makes me think that, like, like to be a healthy person, generally, you need to exercise, you know? And exercise is not always fun. <laughs> but for some reason, to when you exercise and you give small amounts of time, or to a lot of people, you waste small amounts of time, and you're like, maybe not small, I mean, but portions of your time, to this thing that's not so enjoyable, it makes the rest of your life enjoyable because you're healthy, you're limber, you know, you have all of this stuff. So exercise is critical to like play time and like other time that you find more enjoyable. In the same way, death makes life enjoyable in that sense, right? You need, you need finite, you need a finite amount of time. In order, in order to have a meaningful life, you know, like, and and so you, if you get rid of that, that's that restriction. It's almost like too many possibilities. Of course, you're going to become some monkey, you <laughs> yeah. know, like that. You're, it's, of course, that's going to happen, you know. Yeah, because it, you've just opened the possibilities up too too much, you know. Yeah, um, it makes it what you just said makes me think of that. It's that Will Oldham lyric from Bonnie Prince Billy from, I think the song is called Death to Everyone. And it's, <laughs> the chorus is death to everyone is gonna come. It makes our living much more fun. <laughs> and it's an yeah, incredibly yeah. doomy, like dour song. But I've always liked, I remember when I first heard that song and I was like, did he just say fun? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah, right. And that like, yeah, shit, he has a point. Yeah. <laughs> 